Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, Balsak, Ferrer, Rinola, Gilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Happy Cocoa Bowl Friday and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on June 17th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White. Today on the show, what is going on with Kevin Gosman? Some confusing hitters to talk about. Week 12 sleepers, two-star pitchers, and I have an interesting email that I will read towards the end of the show. TGIF. I'm feeling good, Scotty. It's a Friday, end of the week. Final pod, go into the weekend. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, yeah, like that, like the feeling. I actually got some plans for this weekend, Frank. Uh-oh. I was telling you about them before the show. show. Couldn't say the word show. <laughs> I was telling you about them before the show. Going to take the kids bowling, something they've never done before. Mm. And they're both pretty young, so I'm not sure how that's going to go. I don't think I bowled before I was like 10. And my kids are seven and four. You were you were telling me, you were telling me about the ramp, yeah, the ramp, yeah, that the little kids used to bowl, bowl, which I think I've seen before, but I wasn't envisioning. I wasn't sure what I was envisioning exactly, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that that uh, that that yeah, not sure how that's gonna go. But yeah. I'm looking forward to it. They usually my, have that little slide thing, right? So the kids just push the ball down it. And I don't know, sometimes they model it after a dinosaur or something like that. And hey, you told me your kids are, are really into animals. So I hope it is. <laughs> I they, hope you have a, sure a dinosaur slide. Be able to identify what kind. It's probably something simple like a stegosaurus. They could do better than that. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they're, they're too into animals, honestly. <laughs> like it's it's impressive, but it's also like, Come on, guys! Yeah, you, you got to get some other interests. It can't be. It can't be all animals all the time. You've already lapped my lifelong knowledge of animals at this point, and like your brains are in—they're—they're they're just sponges right now. They could absorb all the all the information in the world, and it's all going—it's all going to animals. Which you know, it could be worse thing. It, 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 like if the, it was all going to Pokemon, fake animals, you know, Whoa. that would be, I guess, sadder. Scott, come not, on, I guess man. it's not really sad that it's animals. <laughs> I just wish I could get them into something else, you know? All right. Well, have them listen to this podcast, and that's it. I'm sure they'll be hooked after that. Uh, no. <laughs> Probably they, I'm not. sure they'd be bored. Oh, man. You, you killed me with that Pokemon comment, Scott. I mean... Gosh, I grew up so much Pokemon and yeah, I mean, that's probably why I don't have brain uh, space in my brain for anything else like cheeseburger in paradise. But anyway, there's, there's nothing wrong with Pokemon just as a, a matter of course. But 
you know, like if you have an encyclopedia, encyclopedic knowledge of Pokemon, like that, that just, that, that does seem like an opportunity cost there, especially at the stage of your life that they're in right now. Yeah. It only gets you so far, (laughs) the encyclopedia of Pokemon knowledge. Anyway, we've wasted enough time. Let's jump in. Oh my goodness gracious. All right, Scott. Oh my goodness gracious from Thursday. Who you got? I'm going to go with the guy we haven't talked about much this year, even though he's been arguably the best pitcher in fantasy. I think he regained the lead, at least in points leagues, among starting pitchers with his performance today. And that is Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove against the Cubs today. Two earned runs in seven innings, nine strikeouts. Now, the two earned runs is... Uh, it's it's a fitting number because he has yet to allow more than two earned runs in a start this season. He has also yet to pitch fewer than less than six innings in a start this season, which means every single start he's made has been a quality start. He has uh, an ERA now of 159. He's at pretty much a strikeout per inning. So not a, not a particularly impressive, impressive strikeout rate, actually a lower whiff rate than last year as well. He's had success on limiting home runs. That's I think the main improvement from a year ago is he's just kept the ball in the park more. And of course the environmental conditions have aided him with that. And so look, I I don't think it's anyone's going to fall out of their chair by me saying Okay, he's he's obviously performing over his head here. I think, you know, just the 159 ERA tells you that much. But I think specifically as we see the environment changing and home runs picking up again, you know, it's not like he's suddenly become this ground ball pitcher or anything. There, there aren't natural reasons why the home runs would have uh, would have tailed off the way they have for Joe Musgrove. So I think his... ERA is likely to double or thereabouts over the course of the season, 318. I think that seems like I think that seems like a good number. The ERA estimators are right around there as well. Uh, though some of those are helped by him having so few home runs allowed. So, you know, I, I don't know actionable. If there, there, there's much actionable uh, advice to give there. I mean, sell high, I guess, to a degree, but it's he's top 12 pitcher for me, so... You know, I'm just saying Joe Musgrove is probably not actually the best pitcher in baseball, even if that's the way he's looked up to this point. Yeah, no, I agree. There will be some natural regression at some point for Joe Musgrove. A few more homers allowed. The BABIP is very low. The strand rate is very high. I think those things tend to even out as the season goes along as well. I updated the rankings on Thursday. He's inside my top 10. In fact, we have him at the same spot. SP9 overall is Joe Musgrove right now. So I guess you could look to sell high, but honestly, I I think that he is a pretty viable pitcher in terms of like just expecting a quality start every time out. I mean, yep. Look, he, he won't do it literally every time out, but you know that's kind of the performance I think you can expect from Joe Musgrove. One thing I wanted to note with him, velocity has been on the rise. So he was sitting 91-92 early in the season with the fastball. Not that he throws his fastball very much at all, but he's now averaged over 93 miles per hour each of his last five starts. So 
notable there when he does throw the fastball. Uh, it's a little bit harder and something that maybe could help him uh, continue on with this career year. That is Joe Musgrove. Let's go to the other side. From the good to the bad, Kevin Gosman with the with his worst start of the season up against his former team, the Baltimore Orioles. He goes two and a third, gives up seven runs. Five of those were earned. He had three strikeouts, only seven swinging strikes. He only threw 53 pitches. Um, He's been struggling his last four starts. Kevin Gossman, 6.35 ERA. The swinging strikes have gone down. The hard contact has gone up. Obviously, you know, (laughs) that's a a pretty uh, clear correlation there. Is it correlation? No. I guess that would lead to the ERA being higher overall. So that explains it. We both knocked him down a tad in the rankings. Scott, you got him outside of your top 10. This is Kevin Gosman, And I moved him down to SP7, so ever so slightly. But what do you make of these recent struggles for, for Gosman? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. His ERA estimators are all still better than last year. And when I say ERA estimators, I mean XERA, XFIP, FIP, all, all of those. At least the majority of them are better than last year. His swinging strike rate is still a career best. So he's looked like even even during this rough patch, he's he's missed a ton of bats. So I don't think he is. You know, it's not a situation like Eric Lauer where he's he's just getting worse. He appears to be getting worse. I don't think that's the case for Kevin Gosman. But he's now up to a one twenty six ERA on the year, which is not what you'd expect from an ace. So it's it's frustrating. But I think in the long run, I trust what the underlying numbers say. I trust that he's still a, a dominant pitcher. And whatever is behind this rough patch for him, it's going to smooth out over time. Yeah, and he's no stranger to going through stretches like this. Even last year in the second half, he regressed throughout the course of the season. But he was allowing a lot of hard contact then. And it seems like this is just something that Kevin Gosman could be prone to at times. Uh, I was going to maybe blame it on the fact that he's a splitter pitcher. And uh, when you rely on the splitter that much, there could be some inconsistencies. The splitter is just absolutely filthy this season. It's the fastball and the slider that are actually getting hit pretty hard. 346 batting average against on his four-seam fastball, 333 on his slider. Uh, His split finger, 157. So it's been everything other than the splitter. So uh, hopefully that can... uh, Gosman can get those two pitches back on track, and then we'll see something like the uh, top 10 starting pitcher he's been ranked most of the season. But overall, I'm not really worried about Kevin Gosman. Let's move into some hitters, and what do we make of these players? Kind of confusing names and players who have either uh, had some inconsistencies this season, and we'll start off with Trevor Story, who is down in the in the dumps once again in June where he's batting 212, he's got zero home runs, a 589 OPS for the month. His line drive rate 6.5% in the month of June. Bunch of infield fly balls, average exit velocity way down, 84 miles per hour. This guy, I mean, it just looks like he's pressing, right? It's the fly ball rate is up, the infield fly balls are way up this season. To me it sounds like someone who's trying to hit for power and not just staying true to who he is and the power will come naturally. So I just kind of think first year, new contract, big city, Boston, he's pressing Trevor story. Yeah. Yeah. That could be it. I I think based on the way how hot he got there and during that stretch in May, um, certainly not going to bail on him now. Of course, 
most hitters go through ups and downs over the course of the season. It's, it's unfortunate if like we experienced this year, there's, there's going to be a new normal where hitters just suck in April and, and maybe even at the start of May because of the way the, the way the ball is treated now and how it reacts to cold weather or low humidity environments. Like if, if that is the norm, it, it, it's just, it, it's putting hitters in such a hole that then when they have just their normal slumps that are bound to happen over the course of any season, it, it, it makes it look even worse. So yeah, we still have a lot to figure out as far as that goes, but I don't think story is, going to be a problem in the long run. I still treat him as a must-start player, high-end player. Yeah, I still have him ranked that way as well. I mean, we saw what the upside could be throughout the course of a month in May. He was red hot, hitting a bunch of homers, and he's still running quite a bit. So, again, like, he's changing leagues. He just, you know, he left Coors Field. I think, you know, maybe we should have expected a little bit more inconsistency like we've seen so far from him. Uh, But, yeah, I think... Um, there's going to be more of that moving forward, but of course there will be some hot stretches for Trevor Story as well. And I think that's just a good point, Scott, in general, because uh, a lot of people tweet or email in and they say, what's wrong with this player? He's slumping. It's natural. I mean, it's it's a six-month season. There's a lot, lots of ebbs and flows, especially for you know more fringe players. Someone tweeted me earlier today and they said, uh, does Brendan Rodgers stink again? And I'm like, he's Brendan Rodgers, right? Like, he's not a superstar player. He's, he's not even a star player. He's, he's a pretty good player and he has some potential, but you know, he, he's going to go through some ups and downs. It's, it's pretty natural for, for most hitters. So I think that's just Mm -hmm. a good reminder for everyone out there playing fantasy baseball. Well, and, and you know, the reason I was making the point about April is what's Trevor's story batting now for the year. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think it's especially natural. We're in, you know, we're halfway through June. Now we're, how far into the season? Uh, I guess we're nearing the halfway point, right? We're a couple yeah. a couple weeks away from the halfway point. Yeah. So the fact that your early round pick is you know hitting in the low two hundreds uh, at this point in the season, I, I think that would naturally raise alarm in you, regardless of how he's performing recently. But it's like the beginning of the season. Well, like I said, it put him in a hole. It put him in a hole, put a lot of these guys in a hole, and 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 so it's going to take longer for them to climb out of it. And, you know, in the long run, their batting averages might well be lower because of it, at mm-hmm. least some of them. Yeah, Story is batting just 218 overall, but if you look at the counting stats, nine homers, 32 runs, 42 RBI, eight steals, those are pretty good. I, he's definitely been a letdown. There's no doubt about that, but um, I do think if he can kind of even out this batted ball distribution, better days are coming for him. Anthony Rizzo, it's been an interesting season for him as well. Two for four with a sock and a shoe. His 16th home run, he has six steals. Anthony Rizzo, it's just, he's running the pass a little bit, but I mean, he is really picking his spots well right now. The problem, he's only batting 223, Anthony Rizzo is. I don't think it really matters, Scott. I mean, if he's providing power like this and he's even running a little bit, sure, the Batting average is not great, but especially if you play in a, in a points league, he walks a lot and OBP is going to help. So, um, I you know, I think overall it's just it's been a pretty awesome season for Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, he's been a little difficult to figure out. We haven't seen a 30-homer season from him, I, I believe, since uh, 2017, something like that. And, you know, he's on pace for that now, 
we thought Yankee Stadium would help him with power, but the, it seems like there has been a trade-off for him. That's reflected in the expected stats, too, for what it's worth. I don't know. It kind of reminds me of like Mark Teixeira when he went to the Yankees. I don't know that there's any like um, process. You know, I I I kind of feel like Mark Teixeira stopped being a batting average guy because that's that's when excessive shifting began. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of the victims of that. So I don't know that there's any core like any correlation there between him and Rizzo. It's just, it's just uh, you know, it's just kind of reminiscent of that. How he was a good all around hitter, and then he went to the Yankees, and he just kind of became uh, more of a power focused hitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are some similarities there, though, because Rizzo, the fly ball rate this season is a career high 49%. So it seems like he is selling out a little bit more for that short porch in right field. And, yeah. you know, it's worked Which, from a power perspective. And, and even the expected numbers, he's, you know, 247 expected batting average. It's a lot better than 223. So, you know, better days yeah. could be coming for him. And and Teixeira was one of those, okay, rather than hit it, Rather than trying to adjust my swing and, and beat the shift, I'm just going to hit it over the shift right. kind of guys. Exactly. So that's, yeah. Yeah, they just, they see that short porch in right field and they take aim at it. Christian Yelich, this is an interesting one. One for five on Thursday with his seventh home run. He's batting just 242. He does have nine steals. And there was a stretch, Scott, early May where, you know, he was starting to change uh, the launch angle. He was hitting more fly balls and thought it was going to lead to better results moving forward. It kind it really hasn't. I mean, again, the batting average is low. What are you seeing with Christian Yelich? What do you expect from him moving forward? He's been kind of a hard player to figure out the past couple of years. Yeah, I've been hesitant after some encouraging signs early on. I've been hesitant to bail on him. He's you know, the numbers are pretty awful though. Hopefully this is the start of a turnaround. He still hits the ball hard. He's putting it on the ground too much. I, I mean, he 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 put the ball on the ground a ton in his Marlins days before he joined the Brewers. And he wasn't a stud in fantasy, but he was still he was a hitter for average. And that's that's mainly what we haven't seen him do the past couple of years. So I don't think that explains it entirely. Of course, there was the back issue going on all of last year, and you wonder if he's still dealing with some lingering effects of that, and if it's if it's maybe impacting him in a way that doesn't show up in the data. But I would still consider Yelich something of a buy low, especially since you might be able to get him for really low, given his recent track record. This hopefully is the start of him taking off, but of course it's hard to have much confidence in that. Yeah, so he's batting 242 overall. His expected batting average is 276. His current actual slugging percentage is 377. His Awful. Yeah. His X slug is 479. So, you know, yep. based on his quality of contact, better days should come. And, you know, uh, it's not Miller Park anymore. American Family Field, I think. Uh, Milwaukee, in general, is still a good park to hit in. So, I agree. I, I would still be looking to buy low on Christian Yelich. And he's running. I like that part of his game. Nine stolen bases so far this season. Austin Hayes, Scott. I saw someone ask us about Austin Hayes earlier on Thursday on Twitter, and he went one for five, hit his ninth home run. He's now batting 289. He's got an 825 OPS. How's he doing it? Career best strikeout rate. He's hitting the ball harder. He's being more aggressive. His swing percentage is up, and his zone contact percentage is up. So kind of seems like he's just 
a better player. Do you buy it? Yeah, I do. I, I still think that the ceiling's pretty limited as somebody who never walks, plays on a bad team, plays in a bad park. You know, he's he's kind of he's kind of a fifth outfielder type in fantasy, is Austin Hayes. But he's he has his uses. He's 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 okay. You have him 68th in your outfield rankings. I have him 44th. <laughs> so I don't know if that's... It could be me reacting too much to what he's done and maybe you not reacting enough to what he's done. And maybe, well, you know, it, it should be somewhere in the middle is where Austin Hayes actually should lie. My least favorite position to rank is outfield. Oh, yeah. Because you've got about 30 guys who are unquestionably good. And then you just have this giant mass of hitters <laughs> that seem useful at times and then seem like waiver fodder at other times. And uh, I, I would imagine we both rank Hayes somewhere in that range of outfielders. And it's just like I end up spending way too much time constantly rearranging those players when you know a week later it's it's i'm gonna feel completely different about them uh at what order that i should rank them so you know we could look at some that i have ranked in the vicinity of hayes like josh naylor jock peterson alex kiriloff you know pl- players that have had stretches where we were even more excited about them than somebody might be about austin hayes right now mm-hmm. so it's yeah, I, I want to get so stuck on the number, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And just look at him more as okay, this is this is a solid, solid enough bat for five outfielder leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, look, for the most part, I, I think I buy what he's doing, but even the nine home runs, right? What does that put him on pace for? 19, 20 home runs for the season. He's a solid player. I think he's just more of a high floor player than a high ceiling. That is Austin Hayes. Connor Joe, you heard Kokomo Friday. I love him. But do I? He went four for five on Thursday. Since May 1st, 40 game sample. He's batting 268, has just one homer, slugging 329. Average exit velocity is 83 miles per hour. Uh, we had our fun, Scott, with Connor Joe, but not feeling so hot about him anymore. I mean, I'd still rather have him than Austin Hayes. Ooh, spicy. Is it? Probably not. Just, just by <laughs> virtue of where they're playing their home games. Yeah. I mean, anybody who's getting regular bats at Coors Field and isn't like a Sam Hilliard who strikes out too much to take advantage uh, is, is going to be of some value in fantasy. Plus, he bats leadoff most of the time. I hear that. But, I mean, it's not a great lineup, you know? So, really, no, how valuable it, is that? It's top third of the league and run scored. Not so much because of the personnel, but again, because of where they play their home games, which is, you know, that that's all that matters. All that matters are the numbers <laughs> at the end of the day in fantasy, not how good the guy actually is. Hmm. And uh, I suspect Connor Joe has another hot streak or two in him. I, I hope I'd, so. I'd, I'd want to judge him at his lowest necessarily. I hope so. Honestly, I hope that he proves me wrong. Uh, Connor Joe, by the way, Leading off most of the time for Colorado has 32 runs scored this season. Austin Hayes has 33 with the Baltimore Orioles, so one better. Um, yeah, I, I would I would take Austin Hayes over Connor Joe, but 
I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Connor Joe bounces back and and he does great things with the Rockies. Uh, Jerks and Profar is one that I, I feel like we've kind of flip-flopped a few times this year, Scott, on got off to this hot start. He was doing some things differently and then he slowed down a little bit. But now he's back on track and he's actually having a pretty solid season. 253 batting average, eight homers, four steals, 44 runs scored for Jerks and Profar. That's a 19 homer, nine steal, 103 run pace over 150 games. It's not amazing, but it's very solid. Jerkson Profar. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list some names off for you, Frank. Rattle off some names here. You ready? Sure. Kyle Tucker, George Springer, Kyle Schwarber, J.D. Martinez. Who else? Who else? Uh, I, I think that makes the point well enough. So that was Kyle Tucker, George Springer, Kyle Schwarber, J.D. Martinez. Those are all players that Jerickson Profar has outscored in points leagues this year. Wow. Wow. He is the number eight outfielder. Or at least he was coming into Thursday. Another good game. Maybe he moves up a little bit. I mean, it's a credit to his plate discipline. The walk rate's high. The strikeout rate is low. He's leading off, too, so getting a bunch of plate appearances. Yeah. <sighs> Interesting. It it's a little I find it a little irksome because I don't think he's actually that good of a player. You know what he is? And Scott? I don't think the numbers beyond the plate discipline look all that great. It's just kind of like he's doing just enough at everything that it's it's elevating him in this way that uh I find irksome again. He's the I, I think he's the points league version of Adolis Garcia. How Adolis Garcia yeah. ranks so high in Roto, that's just pro far on the points side of things. Although Adolis Garcia has also outscored J.D. Martinez in points leagues. J.D. Martinez yeah. who's hitting like 350, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think uh I think I wouldn't put a lot of faith in jerks and profar. Fine to use them. Someone, uh, if if you want to, if you want to attach them in a trade offer for somebody better, then I think that's a wise move. If you just want to write it out, then I think that's fine. But you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on him being a top ten type outfielder all season. Uh, let's move over to some pitching, and we had two pitching duels on Thursday. The first one, well, technically it was the last one, but the first one I'd like to highlight was Shohei Otani up against. George Kirby, and we'll start with uh, Otani. He posts back-to-back quality starts. This one at Seattle, six shutout innings with six strikeouts, only had nine swinging strikes on 93 pitches. George Kirby on the other side, six innings, two runs, six strikeouts, and I would argue it might be his best start so far this season. George Kirby, 16 swinging strikes is a career high on 97 pitches. 12 of those came on the fastball and he changed his pitch mix. He used the curveball 26% in the start and that was compared to just 9% entering this one for George Kirby. So kind of interesting there. Um, not that the curveball is a great whiff pitch for him or anything like that, but uh, yeah, I like to start for Kirby. What do you think, Scott? Otani versus Kirby on Thursday. Yeah, not many big takeaways as you mentioned, George Kirby hadn't been getting a lot of swinging strikes prior to this start, and so that's been disappointing. The The control has been exactly as advertised. He doesn't walk anybody, and that's going to elevate him 
beyond what the other numbers say. But I think when you get that many swinging strikes on your fastball, obviously it points to a high ceiling because most pitchers' fastballs aren't big swing and miss pitches. If you have a fastball that's capable of generating whiffs, then you can work on your secondary arsenal to get them at least respectable. I, I mean, this wasn't his the scouting report, by the way. I mean, he was supposed to have a great slider. It just hasn't. It hasn't really played as such so far in his major league career. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was the same for his teammate, Logan Gilbert. Last year, uh, the slider didn't work as well as expected as a rookie, and now you know he's bounced back, and it's been better so far this season. You know, Maybe it might just take some time for uh, George Kirby, but you're right. The fastball is his highest whiff pitch, which you really do not see that in a starting pitcher. So um, hopefully he can improve those secondaries and then more strikeouts to come for George Kirby. And also the control. I know you mentioned it's got five walks and eight starts. That's just bonkers. That is fantastic control for uh, George Kirby. The next one up was Martin Perez up against Bo Brisky. No, this is not a joke. They actually both (laughs) pitched very well on Thursday. Uh, Martin Perez, another seven-inning quality start. Seven innings, one run, five strikeouts in this one. The ERA is down to 2.10. And then Bo Brisky. Bo Brisky has now allowed two earned runs or fewer in three straight. He goes seven shutout with six strikeouts, 13 swinging strikes, solid there. Uh, And the minor league numbers are kind of interesting for Bo Brisky. I don't know if anything's there. Scott, what do you think about this matchup, Perez and Brisky? Yeah, looking at the underlying numbers, I couldn't find anything to get excited about for Brisky. So (laughs) three decent starts in a row, but I'm just going to continue to take a pass on him. Martin Perez, of course, has put up a ton of good starts this year. Last one was the the um, the the blemish. Last one he allowed six earned runs on twelve hits in five innings. And though he bounced back with a good start at Detroit, a it was against the worst offense in baseball. B he still allowed eight hits, so he's allowed twenty hits in his past two starts. Remember when he was on a roll, he was giving up like two hits a start. So. Yeah, he puts the ball in play, and 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 that means the defense has to he has to rely on his defense, obviously. But I think, I think just by virtue of how many hits he gave up in this start, uh, and and considering the opponent, we're we're starting to see him regress a bit, as had to happen. I'd still start him next week. He's making two starts. And the matchups are favorable. Uh, Philadelphia, that's not so great, but Washington's the other one. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's time to drop Martin Perez or anything like that, but we, we may be at the start of the regression here. Hey, he remains a sell high. So uh, if someone in your league is not aware of the past track record of Martin Perez, I would say go out and, and still try and flip him for something, try to sell high again. Keyword sell high on Martin Perez. Before we hit the break, Fantasy Baseball Today is here to help you dominate your league all season long, but now you can represent your favorite podcast with official Fantasy Baseball Today gear only found on the CBS Sports Store. Discover t-shirts, mugs, sweatpants, laser engraved pint glasses, hats, 
like the one I'm wearing right now, if you're watching on YouTube, water bottles, and more to remind your buddies how you got the inside scoop to crush the competition. Right now, Fantasy Baseball Today listeners will get 20% off orders when they use this podcast exclusive code, Fantasy Baseball 20 during checkout. That's Fantasy Baseball 20, and it's only available for our listeners. Head over to store.cbssports.com slash collection slash fantasy baseball today and shop now. It's a very long link. You can find it in the podcast and YouTube description as well. If you want to hear the latest on top prospects, you can listen to our Saturday episode of Fantasy Baseball Today in 5. It's our five-minute podcast. Download and follow wherever you listen to this podcast. Let's take a break, and we'll be back right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The news and notes. Bo Bichette left Thursday's game due to a right leg injury. X-rays came back negative. Cross your fingers. Hope he's all right. Max Scherzer plans to make a rehab start on Tuesday at one of the Mets minor league affiliates and kind of feels like they could use him because uh, they just lost Tyler McGill once again. We'll get to that in a second. Luis Severino was a late scratch on Thursday and then placed on the COVID IL. Apparently, he has not tested positive. Chris Bryant took batting practice on the field Thursday and could head out on a rehab assignment this weekend. Tyler McGill, as I just mentioned, the baby goat, he left Thursday's start with right shoulder discomfort, uh, and he recently returned from the IL with a biceps injury that he was dealing with. So I wonder if there's some overcompensation. He really did not look right in this start. So I'm pretty bummed out, Scott. Yeah, yeah. I, the velocity was good for what it's worth, but you don't want to hear of continued discomfort comfort in that arm that already cost him so much time. And I think an IL stint is likely for him. By the way, I saw right before we went on, Luis Severino's already been taken off the COVID IL nice. uh, since he since he's tested negative. And I suspect we'll see him pitch at some point later this week. All right. Yes, that would be great because obviously he's locked into lineups and you don't want him to miss out on a start there. That is Luis Severino. On the other side of that game with the Mets and Brewers, Aaron Ashby left with a left with left forearm tightness. And he said he doesn't think that he will miss a start, but obviously forearm tightness is uh, pretty scary for any starting pitcher. So we will monitor that closely. Yeah. Uh, I, so a couple things about that too. 
apparently, like Craig Council said, it was more of a fatigue issue and that the initial testing has looked good. And his velocity was fine in the start, Ashby's. He still had 14 whiffs on 79 pitches. The result wasn't great. He was going against the number one offense in baseball. Yes, the Mets have scored more runs than any team. So that's worth keeping in mind, too. I had to remove Ashby from two-start pitcher list, sleeper pitchers list. He was he was at the top of the sleeper pitchers article for this week. Obviously, you know, leaving with forearm tightness, I can't count on him being available, but there's a good chance he still will be available. So let's keep an eye on that over the over the weekend. All right. Brandon Lau on the aisle with a back injury recently experienced discomfort while taking swings and will be shut down until next week. Wander Franco is running well and will go through full workouts Thursday and Friday and could play in rehab games this weekend. Brandon Woodruff could make one more rehab start next week at high A before rejoining the Brewers rotation. Matt Chapman out of the lineup Thursday due to recurring right wrist soreness. And he's been hot. I think he, he hit at least one homer this week. It might, might have even been two. And I know that you've highlighted him before, Scott, but this wrist is just... Kind of pesky right now for Matt Chapman. Fran Reyes served as the DH in his second rehab game on Thursday. He could remain in the minors throughout the weekend to see how he plays the outfield. He's been on the IL with a hamstring injury. Alex Cobb will return Sunday and start against the Pirates. He's down to 71% rostered. Uh, Scott, are you looking to re-add Alex Cobb if he was dropped in any leagues? Sure. I'd be reluctant to use him right away, even with that good matchup against the Pirates. But I think there's a lot of potential there with the the velocity he's gained this year. All right. Aaron Savali completed his second rehab start on Wednesday and looks ready to rejoin the Guardians. He's 41% rostered, and I would imagine uh, a lot less desirable than Alex Cobb. (laughs) He was terrible when we saw him early this year. I've forgotten how bad it was. Yeah, and my two-star pitcher rankings for this upcoming week, I have Aaron Savale dead last. Oh, all right. Anthony Rendon has missed two straight due to a right wrist injury, and Mitch Hanniger was transferred to the 60-day IL with that grade two high ankle sprain. Week 12, let's start with the schedule for next week. Pretty standard uh, schedule. Two teams have five games, the Rangers and the Nationals. 18 teams have six games, and 10 teams have seven games. Just in terms of those uh, two teams with five games, Scott, Rangers, Nationals, must-start players. Corey Seager, Marcus Semien, Juan Soto, obviously, if he's healthy. What do you think about Adolis Garcia, Nelson Cruz, Josh Bell? Are you still starting those players with a five-game week? Mm, Probably. Probably. You know, I mean, you don't want to start Adolis Garcia in a points league. I could understand that. Cruz, you know, you might have other options for your utility spot. But I think most people will probably continue to start those players. All right. Before we get into two-star pitchers to add, should you start these fringy options? Lance Lynn obviously had a rough first start, and he's going up against the Blue Jays. They're hot. And he's going also going up against the Ariel, uh, Orioles. What do you think? Yeah, so I don't know what happened because he was supposed to be a two-star pitcher this week, but it looks like next week instead. So, you know, hopefully they stick with it this time because otherwise you're getting the Blue Jays start and not the Orioles start. But I do have him among the must-start two-start pitchers because he's Lance Lynn and he's making two starts and one's going to be against the Orioles. So, you know, I uh, 
I, I think I, I I don't think you stashed him to sit him with with matchups like this. Fair enough. Tyler Malley is on fire recently. His last two games have come against the Arizona Diamondbacks, so obviously great matchups. Next week, much tougher. He's going up against the Dodgers, and he's at the Giants. Still lean yes on that. It's not he's not quite in the must start section of my two star pitcher rankings, but he is. You know, he's worth using when he has two starts, I would say, even with the bad matchups. Jack Flaherty had a rough first start, and he only went three innings against the Pirates, and next week he's at the Brewers and home against the Cubs. Those matchups are pretty good. I would have liked to see a little more from him in his first start, so I I do lean yes on Flaherty, though. All right, and the last one I have here, Trevor Rogers. Ugh, that Trevor Rogers. Two starts against the Mets. <laughs> what can go wrong at the Mets and at home against the Mets? Nope, nope, not gonna do it. <laughs> I yeah, made me do it, Frank. I don't blame you. All right, two star pitchers to add and stream for next week. Who do you have there? Not much. Okay, I have fourteen must start two start options, and and Aaron Ashby was gonna make it fifteen before I had to remove him. So that's a big number. That you know that just kind of shows you the breakdown of two star pitchers. You're either in or you're out for basically the whole. The whole lot of them this week. But I can give you a few names here. Kyle Gibson is rostered in 77% of leagues. So he's pretty highly rostered himself at Texas, at San Diego. I think that's good enough, at least for points leagues. I don't like recommending Marco Gonzalez, but he's been pretty steady lately at Oakland, at the Angels. I'd probably only do it in points leagues. Uh, but he is he is available in 38% of CBS Sports Leagues. Jose Urquidy gets the Mets and the Yankees. Not great matchups. And, uh, you know, he's he's been pretty hittable at times. So a little worried about that one too. But in points leagues, I could see doing it. If you want to be really brave, Zach Davies is at San Diego and against the Tigers and his... Been effective recently. He's had that change up working. He's, he's gone through stretches like this at times, but when it when it ends, he crashes hard. So it's a big risk, but he's highly available if you want to take that risk. All right. You sure you didn't want to save him for the, the next segment, Scott? No, I actually have him, Zach Davies, in my ten sleeper pitchers for this upcoming week. So I, I think he, I think I like him a little too much for Fortune favors the brave. But I hear what you're saying. Ding, ding, ding! Fortune favors the brave, indeed. You know, since that commercial with Matt Damon, Scott, crypto has just gone way down. Oh my! I was looking oh at my, my uh, portfolio the other day because uh, I don't like to look at it often because I know that it's been bad. I didn't know. It was this bad. It is really bad right now. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, yep. if you are brave enough, you might need uh, one of these two-star pitchers. And uh, the one that I am looking at is Tyler Wells because I still am not convinced that Tyler Wells is a great pitcher, but he looked pretty good on Thursday where he threw six innings of one-run ball against the Blue Jays, and his ERA is down to 3.62. However, his underlying numbers are much higher than that, and he does not get a lot of strikeouts. He's a fly ball pitcher. So, I, I know again, I'm not really selling Tyler Wells, but if you need a two-starter next week, he is going up against the 
Nationals and he's at the White Sox. Both teams uh, struggle against right-handed pitching. Just in case you need a two-starter, that is Tyler Wells. Scott, who do you have? Fortune favors the Brave. Well, I mean, the ultimate fortune favors the Brave pick would be Trevor Rogers, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I already said I wouldn't do it, but I wouldn't do any of my fortune favors the Braves <laughs> picks because I'm not very brave. Fair enough. Uh means I probably shouldn't have invested so much in crypto. Anyway. Um <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we'll we'll uh, ride it. We'll ride it out together, Scotty. Yeah, well, that's that's all you can do. Yeah, not a, I'm not a financial advisor or anyway or or anything, but I've, I've been down this road with crypto once before, and I'm trying not to repeat my same mistakes because I would have gotten a lot of money if I hadn't done that and just ridden it out. Anyway, anyway, not a financial advisor. Um. <laughs> They say that on all the podcasts I listen to, so I feel like I'm legally obligated to say that, right? Not a financial advisor. Yeah. Don't take my advice, but no. this is what I would do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, if you want another one, Eric Fetty against the Orioles and Rangers. I kind of like that, but I, not enough to actually recommend him. Should we start every fantasy baseball podcast like that, Scott? Like, you know, we're not fantasy baseball advisors, but... Well, this is what we, we actually do. are. Yeah, that, I know. That's that's <laughs> the difference. We technically are. All right, let's move into... Oh, no, we still have some other pitchers here. Single start streamers. Three names here. What do you think? Okay. So, again, it's not a good week for sleeper pitchers. I broke the rules. I broke my own rules, Frank, for my <laughs> 10 sleeper pitchers this week. My... Rule has been less than 80%. I'll call you a sleeper. Less than 80% rostered. There are five pitchers who are exactly 80% and have good matchups. So rather than than let perfect be the enemy of good, I just just tweak the language at the top of the column. Instead of rostered and less than 80%, 80% and under. All right. So that I could get those five guys in and not have to recommend guys I don't actually want to recommend. So those five guys would be Spencer Schreider, who's making two starts. Giants and Dodgers. Terrible matchups. But Spencer Strider's going to make them look silly, I think. Jeffrey Springs against the Pirates. Love George it. Kirby, who we just talked about at Oakland. Love Josiah it. Gray at Texas. And, of course, Merrill Kelly who's probably only 80% rostered because he's coming off a two-star week. Uh, But he gets Detroit next week. So that's, I think, a reasonable time to use him. And that's it. All right, let's move over to the hitter side of things. The best hitter matchups for next week are the Marlins, the Cubs, the Tigers, White Sox, and Twins. The worst hitter matchups, Rangers, Blue Jays, Reds, Yankees, and Braves. With that being said, who are some sleeper hitters to add for next week? So, yeah, Marlins actually have a lot of interesting ones. Not Jesus Sanchez because four lefties are on the schedule and he's been useless against them. But I like Jorge Soler, who I'm a little surprised is as available as he is. He's available in about a quarter of CBS leagues. I like Garrett Cooper, who was, uh, I think he had, wasn't he on the COVID IL earlier this week? But he came off quickly, and and yeah, he's been he's been having a great month. 
Uh, he's always been a good hitter, but he gets hurt a lot. Doesn't have a ton of power, but enough. I think the matchups are good enough. Garrett Cooper, I like him a lot this week. Jesus Aguilar is on the list for me as well. Uh, you mentioned the Cubs have the second best matchups. Christopher Morrell is actually probably my favorite sleeper hitter of this week. Still available in 30% of CBS Sports Leagues. You can play him at second base or the outfield. And uh, he's homered in back-to-back games. So I, I like to see that from players who I'm a little uneasy about. They come up and they're doing big things and then they fall off and you're like, is this the end? <laughs> and then they come roaring back. I like to see that with Christopher Morrell. like him for this week. I like Frank Schwindel for this week. Uh, Andrew Vaughn, switching gears here with the White Sox, fourth best hitter matchups. I think he's a good play. Luke Voigt, I mean, the, the Padres matchups are middle of the road, but Luke Voigt just seems like he's he's rounding into form and there's a lot of upside there. I'd want to get him in my lineup. Alec Thomas, again, middle of the road matchups for the Diamondbacks, but five of the pitchers on the schedule are, are, are righties and Alec Thomas's numbers are especially good against righties. He's a left-handed hitter, so that's no big surprise. Plus, he's been heating up lately. Uh, I also, you know, I mentioned the White Sox have the fourth best matchup. AJ Pollock is who I have rounding out the list here. He's been, he's on a multi-hit game streak, not showing a lot of power, but of course we've seen AJ Pollock uh, look pretty studly at times, and he he may be on the verge of a hot summer here. All right, yes, I have noticed he's uh, getting a bunch of hits, but not much power. AJ two around. hits. AJ two hits. Whoa, him and Frank Schwindel sleepers for next week. I love it. Uh, Christopher Morrell. You mentioned he had his fifth home run on Thursday, and I had someone's page open. Who was it? Garrett Cooper. He's hitting four twenty two with a ten thirty six OPS in the month of June. So yes, he has yep. been very hot in the month. Let's wrap up some leftovers here on the pitching side of things. Tristan McKenzie has now gone six plus innings in eight straight games, and he was at the Rockies in Coors Field on Thursday. Six innings, one run, six strikeouts, had 16 swinging strikes on 93 pitches. His ERA is down to 2.96. His XFIP is 4.46. McKenzie's kind of one of these confusing pitchers, Scott. He might just be a cheat code because he allows so many fly balls. I don't know. You can give me your thoughts. The other one, Zach Wheeler, he turned in his sixth quality start in a row. And over his last nine starts, he's got a 1.42 ERA. Zach Wheeler is awesome. What do you think about those two? Yeah, I don't have much to say about Wheeler. He's awesome. Not his best start, obviously. Well, I mean, one run in seven innings. Just he wasn't missing bats like we're used to seeing. But that's I'm, I'm not going to worry about that. Washington was... You know, Zach Wheeler probably looked the mo- like the most hittable guy on the planet after facing Spencer Strider the day before. So they were just keying in on that. Um, Tristan McKenzie. Yeah, I'd feel a lot better about him if it, he was getting more than 7.8K per nine or whatever it is. And I feel like he's capable of that because he, he misses bats at a decent rate. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's hard to... It's hard to buy into the guy with the extreme fly ball tendencies. I could see how those would be a boon, particularly if the ball's not carrying as well this year because fly balls that don't clear the fence are often outs. But, you know, we're, we're, we've kind of gotten programmed during the juice ball era that if you're putting the ball in the air that much, it's, it's going to lead to trouble inevitably. It may not be so true anymore. 
So a little on the fence about McKenzie, but of course he's he's must roster and all of that. And I've mentioned this before, because he's a fly ball pitcher, his BABIP and batting average against is extremely low. His 0.93 whip is seventh best among qualified starting pitchers. So that is just, that is an elite, elite level mark for that stat with Tristan McKenzie. Let's move over to some hitting leftovers. Teoscar Hernandez, one for five with his fifth homer. He is on fire in June. He's batting 356. He's got three homers, 10 RBI, two steals. He's hitting the ball much harder so far this month. Kyle Schwarber, another one, double dong, now up to 18 homers. This guy just loves June. Last June, it was like, what, 16 home runs that he hit in the month? So far, he's uh, 14 games in, 302 batting average, seven homers, 16 runs scored, 14 RBI, a 29% barrel rate. That was before Thursday. So that barrel rate is just going to go up for the month of June, which is bananas. He's been awesome. You know who else loves June is Brian Reynolds. I I saw a graphic on Twitter the other day. He was like the second best batting average all time in June. Wow, I didn't know that. It was like, you know, like Lou Gehrig. It was all these like all-time greats (laughs) and then Brian Reynolds. I don't know. They probably picked a very, uh, uh, like the perfect cutoff for at-bats, you know, to get him in there. But (laughs) still... It's, Interesting. It's kind of funny. Josh Bell went two for four with his eighth home run. He's betting 294. Mike Trout, two more home runs, a double dong for him. He's up to 18 homers. And then a few waiver wire callouts from Thursday. Mark Canna had a sock and a shoe. His fifth homer, his first steal, he's betting 295. 48% rostered. That's probably right for Mark Canna. He's a low ceiling but high floor kind of player. Ezekiel Duran, I know we mentioned him a lot. I'm just, I'm really impressed by this kid, Scott, because comes up from double A, biggest spot in the game, bases loaded. He's facing Gregory Soto, who has been inconsistent, but he throws very hard. And he hits a bases clearing triple to take the lead in the biggest spot in the game. I mean, for a 21 year old to do that, it's impressive. I, I've been really impressed by Ezekiel Duran. Uh, and then in deeper leagues, some names here Nomar Mazzara hit his first home run. He's betting 350 early on. And Brian Servin, the catcher for the Rockies, went four for four with a triple. And he has now started four of the last six games for Colorado. So if you need a second catcher in those deeper leagues, then Brian Servin is a name to look at. The call to the bullpen will get into some bullpen updates here. For Oakland, Danny Jimenez recorded the final four outs for his 11th save. Kind of speculating on you know, where would they go next. Still seems like it's just Danny Jimenez for now. For the Padres, Taylor Rogers gave up a run, but added his 20th save. For the Guardians, Emmanuel Class A gave up two hits, converted his 14th save, and I believe that's three days in a row with a save. It might be four. I don't know. He has a ton of saves this week, Emmanuel Class A. The Tigers, I mentioned Gregory Soto, entered the ninth with a one-run lead. He, he walked two, hit a batter, gave up that bases-clearing triple. He takes the blown save and the loss. Texas Rangers, Joe Barlow walked one, but picked up his 12th save. For the Mets, Edwin Diaz gave up two hits, but picked up his 13th save. And then Rysel Iglesias gets back on track for the Angels, struck out the side, and picked up his 13th save of the season. To street- three, day, three days in a row with the save for Class A. Four okay. games in a row. They had an off day Monday. Nice. All right, yeah. I mean, uh, the numbers okay. are fantastic for him yep. this season. He's he just needs more opportunities, and he's, and, he's and, getting there. And, and, and that's how it goes with saves, right? You think, right. Class A, man, what a letdown he's been. But 
you know, they, they, they closers go through stretches like this pretty often where they're getting a bunch of saves and then they're not getting any. It's it's just the way it goes. He's, uh, I think, pretty clearly one of the elite, one of the handful of elite closers. To stream or not to stream, we'll start with Friday. Zach Thompson versus the Giants. Ross Stripling versus the Yankees. Michael Waka versus the Cardinals. John Gray at the Tigers. Daniel Lynch at the A's. Devin Smeltzer at the Diamondbacks. And Michael Lorenzen at the Mariners. John Gray at Detroit. I can go with that. Two of his last three starts have been awesome. Michael Lorenzen at Seattle. I'm okay with that. Uh, by the way, Michael Lorenzen, I didn't, he, he didn't quite make the cut for the top 10 sleeper pitchers, but he would be 11th for next week. He's going against the Royals. It's kind of a boring pitcher, but he's been reliable enough. Yeah, I think uh, while we're on that, John Gray as well, going up against the Nationals next week. So I had him written down as a uh, potential streamer for next week as well. On Saturday... What? I'm, I'm not sure he is. Who do you have him for? I have him going against Philly. I'll double check that, though. Mm, all right. Philly, not not as great for John Gray. On Saturday, we have Brad Keller at the A's, Cole Irvin versus the Royals, Braxton Garrett at the Mets, Graham Ashcraft versus the Brewers, Taylor Hearn at the Tigers, and Chris Flexen versus the Angels. Uh, you know what? I think... You know, it, it could go either way with John Gray because uh, the, the off days lineup that the Rangers could go four man right now if they want to, and so that's how I entered into it. Mm-hmm. Entered it into uh, into my grid here. Yeah. But if they insert a fifth man, then then he will get pushed back to the Nationals. So yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Saturday streamers. Yeah. It's um. Not great. Not great. Not great, Bob. Mm. Graham Ashcraft against the Brewers, I guess, is probably my favorite. Yeah. I think Cole Irvin against the Royals is okay, but don't love it. Sunday, Zach Eflin at the Nationals. Alex Cobb in his return at the Pirates. Mitch Keller versus the Giants. Adrian Hauser at the Reds. Dane Dunning at the Tigers. Brady Singer at the A's. And Chris Archer at the Diamondbacks. Well, I said I wouldn't trust Cobb coming off the I.L., uh, but let's see. Is he the best choice here? Maybe Zach Eflin at the Nationals is the best choice. I like Dunning at the Tigers. Uh, yeah, that's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good matchup, obviously. Brady Singer at the A's is okay, but I would rank him behind uh, those other names we mentioned. All right, let's wrap up with this email from Jason. It's something I brought up to you guys off the podcast before. And it's just something I've thought about myself and anyone who's listening or watching, if you want to email in and let us know how you feel about the subject or tweet at me at Roto underscore Frank, uh, tweet at Scott at CBS, Scott white. Uh, let us know what you think about this topic from Jason. Been listening three to four years now. You guys really made me a better fantasy player, so thanks. However, I had a controversial thought. Cold water coming in. Over the last 15 to 20 years, baseball has become more and more of a numbers game. Nowadays, someone who isn't plugged into the metrics slash analytics has pretty much zero chance of having an intelligent conversation regarding baseball with someone who is a dedicated fantasy player slash metrics guy. Only the true baseball nerds understand metrics like ISO, BABIP, and XWOBA. My question is, do we miss the days before the advanced Bill James sabermetrics era of baseball, where we actually had the ability to have arguments and controversial takes regarding certain players uh, and how player Y is better than player X without having the infinite metrics to look at to really prove it? 
Personally, I think advanced metrics are somewhat hurting the enjoyment element of the game. I feel like I need an accounting degree to understand baseball now. Mm -hmm. And even if I did have one, I still wouldn't understand how Juan Soto is hitting 225 this season. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that last line, we know a lot more than we did 20 years ago, but we still don't know everything. Right. And, you know, I, I don't think any, any serious baseball analyst, I don't even think any fan really thinks Soto's going to continue to hit 225. But, you know, you could find similar examples of players that, uh, I don't know, like like Tony Gonsolin, for instance, uh, dramatically outperforming his expected stats every year, and especially this year. And there are just there there are instances like that where there there just seems to be no explanation, and you just have to you just have to trust in the track record to a degree. Uh, so, uh, to the broader point of is it hurting the enjoyment of the game? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I obviously my experience has been very different because I started writing about you know this became my job in 2007, 2008, I guess 2008 baseball season was the first year I was doing this for CBS. And uh you know back then like something like OBP or walk to strikeout ratio, I cited all the time. Like that was considered the advanced analysis. Like nobody had thought to use that when analyzing fantasy players before. You know, mm-hmm. um, not literally true, but you know what I mean. It was it was the it was the groundbreaking thing. And uh, so, just the amount of information that's come out since then, I've only absorbed it in a full time capacity. So to me, it's just it's just me consuming baseball and this is part of it so i don't i don't know that i can't really speak to the layman and whatever arguments you may have been having my baseball discussions always i've always been with other baseball people and i probably i probably can't relate unfortunately (laughs) it's something i've thought about just from a you know fantasy content perspective even really the past five years has changed so much right with the introduction of Statcast and expected numbers and i understand how it could be you know, overwhelming for people who you know maybe don't understand it to a T. I mean, even we are still learning things that you know as they develop and as they come out, and you know, learning what stats are descriptive versus predictive, and obviously that helps us as fantasy players. But it is something I, I think about a lot. So again, let us know. It, it, you know, oh. is is it too much to digest? Right, like in podcast form. It, this is just these are just things that I think about well, myself. But I think they make us better fantasy players. Just to know the underlying numbers, if that makes sense. They do. But I, I also want to, I, I think they can be overrated too from the sense of, do you really need to know them to be good at fantasy baseball? I, I don't think you do. Probably I not. Think if you, I think if you just look at the traditional numbers, it, it, it'll create some blind spots, but not enough that you can't compete, you know? So, you know, part of it is just it gives us something to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and it, it does help around the fringes, I think. And I don't think it's just conversation fodder, but that is a, a big part of it. And, um, you know, obviously, if you're listening to a fantasy baseball podcast in the middle of June, you're, you're a, you are by definition a baseball nerd. 
So you're going to be uh, at, at least somewhat versed in these ideas. And I, I think we're actually more accessible than most as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. uh, but having said that, there is a certain degree of nerding out that's required. <laughs> if you're going to be a daily fantasy baseball podcast. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I agree. But, you know, I, look, if someone like Brian presents this email, I, I also, Jason rather, excuse me, um, I, I, see <laughs> both, his name is. I, I see both sides of the argument. So uh, not that he's arguing, but anyway, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to present this. And, you know, it's something I do think about quite a bit, but uh, I think it's a good conversation to have and, um, you know, to look at the, the broader um, scale or I guess aspect of fantasy baseball. Uh, but yeah, that's it. All right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.